Genesis chapter 8, begin with verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time, time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall never cease. Those of you that uh, fight against that idea of snow, you better read that verse again. <laughs> God's promised it to us here. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give them all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast, I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, spoke to them saying, Now behold, I myself to establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, and all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. And I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you, every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, It shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Do you ever wish you could get a new start in life? Yeah, you ever wish that you could break out of the rut and the routine that you often find yourselves in and just have a a totally new beginning? The fact of the matter is, new beginnings are a way of life for all of us, whether we realize it or not. Kids in school, they get a new beginning every September. You get a new classroom, you get a new teacher, you get new expectations. It, it, you, you, you ever notice in school how, the, uh, unless you're homeschooling, how every year is different because it's a different teacher or, or a different set of teachers and, and all the changes that brings into your life, some of them you... Sometimes you enjoy those changes. Sometimes if it was like we had to go through in grades 6 and 7 with Miss May, the terror of the teaching profession, you didn't look forward to that change, but it came whether you liked it or not. Then when we finish school, we face the prospect of marriage. That can be an exciting time. But did you ever notice that change is both scary and exciting together? We, we, 
you get excited, but then you get, well, how's this going to work out? What, what's going to happen here? And just when you get adjusted to, to that, then along comes children. And that throws a whole new mix into, into the equation there. And total changes there. You get comfortable with the children and, and as they grow up, and then the Lord brings the empty nest into your life. And suddenly you're faced with a whole new set of, of changes again. Life is like that. We have changes in careers, changes in location, changes in relationship. And as I said, change can be exciting, but it can also be scary. There's an element of fear that comes with it. And the fact of the matter is, we all face those changes. As, as day by day goes by, God brings changes into our lives. So we do have, and we do live with a new beginning. Noah and his family were facing a totally new beginning in their life. They, can, can you just imagine what they have gone through uh, over a year in that ark? And now it's time to start a new life. They come out, they're on dry ground, and uh, they're facing a new beginning. But they're not facing a new beginning by their choice. I, I don't think they chose the flood. They, they had to cooperate with it, but I, this was God's doings, not theirs. They, they were there because God led them this direction. It was thrust on them by God. And have you ever noticed how many times you are powerless to change some of the circumstances that come into your life. Now, some of them we have the opportunity to change, but an accident, uh, an illness, we would avoid it at all costs if we could, but it happens, and we need to learn to adjust to those, those circumstances and the new beginning. A change is an opportunity for God, I believe, to do something new in our lives. He has something that he wants to do in us, something he wants to do through us, and so he brings a change into our lives. And he did that with Noah and his family. A tremendous change. What, what can we learn from their experience? Because like it or not, we're all facing change. What can we learn from the experience that, that Noah and his family went through? I think two words come to us here that, that we need to consider. The, the first one is we need, when change comes, we need to learn to seek God first. That's, that's the, the primary lesson, I think, that comes out of this particular passage. Notice in verse 19, 18 and 19, Noah and his family left the ark. They, they came out. Things are totally different here. and They are facing a daunting task. Where do you begin? Uh, everything's been destroyed. You've got houses to build. You've got crops to plant. You've got to decide where you're going to settle. You've got to organize society, who's going to do what and so forth. It's, all of this is pressing in on them as they step out of the ark. And what do they do? They choose as their number one step to take some time and worship God. To seek God in an act of worship. In verse 20, they build an altar and they offer the burnt offerings as a sacrifice there. This is the first mention in scripture of an altar. I'm sure that they had altars before this. I I believe God gave the pattern to Adam and Eve when he slew the animals and gave them coats of of skins there. Uh, I, I think 
they, they had that pattern all along, but this is the first time it's mentioned here in Scripture. I think it's significant. Here in the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of all of the changes that they're confronting and all of the work that's piled up upon them at, at, in this moment, they take the time to worship God, to set aside some time to worship Him. They, they start with an act of worship. And I think two things come out of that there. First of all, is the thought that worship is voluntary. God did not command them to do this. God did not say, you've got to build an altar, you've got to sacrifice these animals. They did it because they wanted to. We can force people to conform to a set of standards. We, we do that. Uh, those of you that are in the military, you all dress alike, you all have certain things you have to do alike and so forth. Uh, we, we can force that conformity, but that doesn't change the heart that that isn't true worship there we, we can go through the motions but not that doesn't mean that people are actually worshiping the lord jesus on one occasion said these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me because worship today is a heart matter it it goes back to what is in our heart i i love the little cartoon of dennis the menace uh he's sitting in the corner because uh, that's his, the form of punishment that his, his parents used. And as his mom is walking out the door, Dennis turns around and looks at her, and he says, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. That, that rebellion was still there. Uh, yeah, you can force me to sit down here, but uh, that's not changing my heart there. And, uh, but for Noah, he took the initiative, worship to him, was voluntary. It was a matter of the heart. And so he comes and he seeks to lead his family in an act of worship at this critical point in their life and their time here. Second thing we see about worship here is worship is costly. Have you ever thought, what did it cost Noah to make that sacrifice? Besides the time that could have been spent elsewhere, what what was involved in in that sacrifice? Now I am not. It's not clear in Scripture whether they took seven clean animals of each kind into the ark, or whether they took seven pairs. That's really immaterial here. He, he takes one or or one pair of each one, and he offers it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, did you notice how many they took into the ark? Seven whether it's seven pairs or, or, or seven individuals, doesn't make any difference. You divide seven by four, you don't even get one each, or I mean two each there. Now, why do I divide it by four? Because you're looking at four families that came out of the ark. And so if you're going to give those uh, clean animals to each of the families, you got a problem there. How, how do you divide that evenly? How, how do you make that fair? Now, I, I think they probably, for a time, just herded them all together. But uh, someone has said that this is a tithe of about 14% of the clean animals. Now, what traditionally I think of the tithe as what? 10%. But th- this goes above and beyond that. It was a costly act of sacrifice on their part. And someone has said it's probably one of the most costly acts of sacrifice that we find in Scripture. There is one that was greater than that, and that was the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ. But here, when you think of what they're facing, 
building a new life, starting all over again. And this is all that they have to start with. They give 14% of that to the Lord. That's a remarkable sacrifice on, on, on their part. It was a costly act that they willingly gave to the Lord. Now we could ask, why the sacrifice? Why did they feel that it was necessary to offer a sacrifice at, at this point in time? They've, they've come through the flood, they're safe, they're secure. Why a sacrifice? Well, I wonder if perhaps it wasn't a thank offering to the Lord. Were, were, were they thankful for the fact that God had spared their life, God had brought them safely through? Uh, I, I think if we went around the room this morning, every one of us could f- come up with something different to thank the Lord for. We have a reason to thank the Lord. We have a multitude of reasons to thank the Lord. And so did Noah and his family. Maybe it was an act of dedication. They're starting a new life. They're recommitting themselves to the Lord. Maybe it was a sin offering. I wonder, was everything peaceful on the ark? Were there times when some of them did a little bit of complaining. Here we go again. We've got to clean up this mess again. We, we've got to go through this again uh, day after day. I, I, I wonder if there were some things that uh, they criticized the Lord for in that process. And they felt it necessary to get right with the Lord. And so they come and they, they offer a sacrifice. Or perhaps it was a opportunity for them simply to demonstrate their love for, for the Lord. And, and as I think of the sacrifices that they were making, I think of First Peter chapter 2 in verse 5. He, he says, uh, he's talking to the church there. He says, you are living stones. You are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So just as they sensed a need to sacrifice, God says we're a people who are here to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Now, what kind of a sacrifice can we give today? What kind of a sacrifice do we make to the Lord? I'm going to suggest some from Scripture in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, we're familiar with that, beginning in verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your body as a living sacrifice not as a dead sacrifice now but as a living sacrifice god doesn't need a dead sacrifice today christ died on the cross for us but he needs somebody that's willing to live out this principles of the word of god in a society that desperately needs to see jesus christ are are, are we willing to say lord here am i use me i'll be that living sacrifice now i wish that was a once for all experience don't you wish you could come and say, okay, Lord, I give myself to you, I'm yours, and, and it's over and it's done with, and you never have to worry about that again? But then a change comes, and we have to struggle. Lord, am I going to give myself afresh to you? Am I going to follow you? I'm going, am I going to be that living sacrifice in a, in a new situation? We are called to be living sacrifices for Jesus Christ. Another passage to consider when it comes to sacrifices is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, in uh, verse 15, it says, Through him, that is Jesus Christ there, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 
Offer up what? A sacrifice of praise. Have you ever wrestled with that? What is a sacrifice of praise? We praise the Lord. We, we sang songs here this morning praising the Lord. Why? Because God has blessed us. But if things are going wrong, are we as quick to praise the Lord? That's when it becomes a sacrifice of praise. When we don't understand what God is doing, we, we can't figure out the pain or the heartache or what, whatever it is that we're going through. And yet we offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That pleases him. That, that, that is what he's dealing with in that little phrase, a sacrifice of praise. It's easy to praise the Lord when he's, we obviously see his blessing, when we have the material things that we think we need or the health or whatever. But when, when things go wrong there, we have a choice. We can complain or we can praise the Lord. Lord, I don't understand it, but you do, and so I'm going to give you thanks for it. How quick are we to offer that sacrifice? He goes on in the next verse to say, Don't neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so another sacrifice is doing that which is right, that which is good, living our lives for, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And then Paul in uh, Philippians 4.18. Did I get that right in your notes? I did. All right, great. I didn't have it in my notes. Philippians 4.18 gives us another sacrifice. He speaks here of the gift that they, the Philippians gave to him. He said, I received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so their gifts uh, their tithes and their offerings became a form of sacrifice, and God was well pleased with that. A sacrifice is not a means for us to earn salvation. We, we don't buy our salvation with sacrifice. Neither is it a means to force God to bless us. Uh, I, I heard of one preacher, we were in West Yellowstone, and I had my wife and two daughters with me there, and we were in a motel, and I wanted to get out early and explore the park, and you know, it just takes them a little bit longer to get ready. I don't know why. I don't understand that. You just comb your hair, grab some breakfast, and be on your way, but it, it doesn't work that way. But I, t- I turned on the TV. That was better than trying to push them and hurry up and all, all of that. So, and, and on the TV came a man, uh, a TV preacher. I don't know what his name was. I, I never got that far in his broadcast. But uh, he was going on and on about how if you give me $1,000, you, you may be in debt. He said you may be struggling to make ends meet. You give me $1,000 and God will meet your need. I thought the only need he's going to meet is your need not, not, or your desire there. That You can't force God by giving to do your th- what you want him to do. Now, I, in, in saying that, I say that carefully because I don't think we can ever outgive God. But we don't force God to, to do things our way by giving him a gift. Uh, or that, that, that's a form of a bribe then. But... Uh, they came, they freely offered those sacrifices as a means of expressing their thanks and their love to God. And notice it says, God was pleased. God was well pleased. That comes out several times in Scripture. In, uh, in the Psalms, 
Psalms uh, 50, verse 23, he's speaking there. He said, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. And earlier in that passage, he speaks of the fact that this is a sacrifice that God is pleased with. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. It, it pleases him. Ephesians chapter 4, in uh, verse 2. Uh, now, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us and offering a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And that's what was happening there in Genesis as well. It was a sweet-smelling offer in a sense to, to the Lord. Now, I don't understand that, but God does. You, you know, you ever burn a chunk of meat? <laughs> We don't look at that as a sweet-smelling offering, do we? Uh, but God does in this situation. They gave of their best to the Lord, and it was pleasing to God. I think there's a message in that for us today. I think we need to examine our own hearts and our own lives as we think of what was going on in Noah's life. Uh, what are we willing to sacrifice for him today? What are we willing to give for, to express our love and our worship and praise to him? Do we give of our time? Do we give of our talents? Do we give of our resources? What are we sacrificing as an act of worship to the Lord? Uh, one of the problems with uh, worship is it's voluntary. God doesn't force us. To do it. God doesn't say you do it or else. No, it, it's voluntary. And, and we struggle with that in, in a church because we are asking people to, to serve. And if it's convenient, a lot of people will serve. If it's not convenient, they're not going to make the sacrifice. You, you, you've got to live with that to, today. I, I like the example of David in 2 Samuel chapter 24. We're not going to take time to read it, but the, the death angel was marching through the land of Israel. And, and he was coming up to Jerusalem, and David could see it there. And, and he realized if that death angel comes into Jerusalem, we're, we're going to be toast. That's going to be the end. And, uh, and so he goes out, and uh, the angel is stopped, and he offers a sacrifice to the Lord. He goes to where he sees the angel. He goes to the threshing floor of Aruna. Aruna comes along and, and he sees the death angel as well. Now, he's, he's not a dumb individual. He, he realizes if, if that death angel comes, it's not just going to be David that's going to suffer. I'm going to suffer too. So he says to David, take the, take the oxen, take the, the implements that, that we thresh with and so forth and, and, and offer up that sacrifice. It's, it's yours. He said, I'm, I'm not holding anything back here. It's, it's yours. David refused to do that. David said, God forbid that I should offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And so he paid the full price for the land, for the oxen, for the implements that they were using there because he didn't want to give to God anything less than the best. We sing that song occasionally, give of your best to the master. Do we give of our best to the master or do we give him the leftovers? Do we, we give them our time when we don't have anything better to do? Or do we make a point of sacrificing sometimes and saying, okay, I'll 
instead of going to this event, I'll go worship the Lord or, or whatever, or I'll fulfill the commitment that I've made to the Lord. Do we give him the best or do we give him the leftovers? I would submit to you that Noah in this moment was giving his best. It was a costly sacrifice, it was, but it was a voluntary one. And he was worshiping God through his sacrifice. And then the second thing I think that we, would, we find here is we need to learn when change comes, not just to seek God first. The second thing we need to learn is to listen to God. Listen to his word. What is it that he is saying to us? What, what is he speaking to us in those moments? And I, I like, as we go back to the account in Genesis chapter 8 here, verse 22, the Lord begins to speak. And he makes some tremendous promises to uh, Noah and his family and, and their descendants there. Uh, I'll, I'll just list three of the promises for you here this morning. He says, I will never again curse the ground uh, as he did with the flood. Why was that? What is he saying in that? I think he's saying, I'm not going to add any more burden to you at this point in time. I'm not going to destroy the world anymore this way. Uh, why? Because the flood did not resolve the problem. The problem was not the earth. The problem was the heart of mankind. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 51 speaks of the fact that we were conceived in sin and iniquity and so forth there. And, and the only remedy for that is a change of heart. He goes on in, in Psalm 51 to say, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew, renew your right spirit within me there. That, that is what is needed. The flood isn't going to do that. Another flood's not going to do that. It didn't do it in the first place here. And so he said, I'm not going to go that route again. Rather, he's going to go as First Peter 1 18 and 19 suggest he's going to go with the sacrifice of his son. He's going to change our hearts. How we're redeemed, not by silver and gold there. We're redeemed by the blood of the lamb, the precious lamb without blemish and spot. That was the solution to the, the sin question there. And in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 22, he speaks of the fact that we come into the very presence of God. How? Through the veil, that is his flesh that was given to us on the cross. That's what we celebrate with the Lord's table today. We come through the blood and the sprinkling of the blood there. So God found a way to resolve the real question of mankind there as through the cross of, of Jesus Christ. So he said, I'll never send another total flood there. Now, there have been devastating floods since then. I have imagined, I can imagine some of the people in the Midwest today <laughs> wondering, is, is this God's judgment? What, what's going on here? We've never seen a flood like this, but uh, it's nothing compared to what Noah experienced. There, there will be local flooding, but he, he's not going to just curse the ground that way again. And, and the second promise is he's never going to send a, a universal flood. And the third pro promise that he gives here is a positive one. He said, as long as Time remains, as long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. Uh, stop complaining about the snow. God promised it. You should thank the Lord for it. You shouldn't, shouldn't be complaining about it. Uh, we can complain. Well, I guess we shouldn't complain about the heat either. Uh, but uh, I know some of you like that. But it, it, it's a reminder, I believe, here of what Jeremiah gives to us in, in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations uh, is a tough book to, to read, to, to work through, 
uh, as he's rehearsing all that God has done in uh, the tragedy of, of Israel and so forth. But there's there's a tremendous verse or two here in the middle of it. In verse chapter 3, verse 19, he says, uh, no, verse 21, he says, Therefore I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God made a promise to Noah and to his family. As long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. How many of you go to bed at night worrying about whether the sun's going to come up the next morning or not? Now, I I hope I didn't give you just one more thing to worry about. (laughs) We, We don't do that, do we? Why? Because God is faithful. God it will keep his word. Uh, I, I, I take comfort in that fact. Uh, I know we want, we're not going to have snow for a few months, but it's going to come again. God, God's going to keep his word. We, we, we can rest on the faithfulness of, of God today. And that's what he was saying to Noah. Noah, I'm in charge. I will take care of it there. So that leads to the covenant. You come down into chapter 20 and God makes a covenant there with Noah and his family. And when we, you see a covenant in scripture, I think it's important for us to remember that God is the one that sets the terms, not man. We, we don't make a covenant with God and say, Lord, you've got to do it this way. No, God comes and says, this is the way it's going to be. And, 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 uh, Follow his covenant and he blesses us there. So it leads, first of all, to man's part here. What did God expect of Noah and his family? And I'm just going to quickly give you what he expected here. He expected them to be fruitful and multiply. Same idea comes out of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, doesn't it? When God created Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's the command that he's bringing in a sense. He's saying, Noah, we're starting over and we're starting with you. And so this was their responsibility. And then he gave them the command to rule over creation. Again, very similar to the creation account. They were to be put in charge of creation. And we can debate whether man has done a good job of that or not. But I think by and large we've messed it up, haven't we? Rather than being a good steward of, of what God has, has given us in, in, in this world. But this time the rule over creation was aided by fear. I realize we tend to be afraid of some of those animals that are out there. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why so many people hate those snakes that crawl around out there. We shouldn't be afraid of them. They should be afraid of us. God's placed that fear upon them there. That's part of helping us rule over his creation. And then they were given permission to eat meat. They'd been vegetarian before this. And I know a lot of people that want to be vegetarians today and I don't have any problem with that as long as I don't have to do it <laughs> you want to do it that you that that's fine uh, someone said a diet is die with a t on the end of it uh, yeah you, you, you can struggle with that I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't eat there uh, that that's between you and the Lord but God gave them permission to eat meat at this point in time why because the flood had completely changed things. It had changed the condition, world conditions, the, the geography of the world, and so forth. Have you ever thought of how hard it would be 
for an Eskimo to be a vegetarian? You don't grow crops up there. And so they depend on, on, on meat to, to survive there. The qualification that he gave here is don't eat the blood with it because the life of the flesh, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The, the Red Cross got that right, incidentally. Have you ever noticed their, their slogan? Give the gift of what? Of life. You're giving your blood, you're giving a gift of, of life there. And so he said, don't eat the blood. Acts 15 brings that down to today, 1529 as well. And then the, the final one for man was to respect human life. And that was to be enforced with capital punishment. If somebody took a human life, their life was forfeit for that. And that is not our individual responsibility. That's the responsibility of the government today. Romans chapter 13. That's why God, one of the reasons God has established government and and the responsibility of government. But this is what God expected of Noah and his family. For his part, we already saw what he promised that he would do there uh, with uh, Noah, with the animal world and so forth. But how were they to know that God would keep his word? Well, God said, I'll give you a sign. What was that sign? The rainbow. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but uh, some of us see rainbows differently. Uh, all, all I have ever seen in a rainbow is a pale band of blue and a pale band of yellow. Now, I, I know you, you see more than that, but that, that's being color challenged. That, that's all that, that I see there. But I wonder the first time a storm came along after they came out of the ark, how encouraging that must have been to see the rainbow to to realize god has made a promise and yes it's raining and we need the rain but uh, he's not going to send another flood why because he promised and, and there's it in the sky was the the sign of, of that promise there I, I realize today the symbol the rainbow has been hijacked by different groups don't let them steal the meaning of it from you it, it was given to God's people. It was given to bring us comfort and blessing and assurance that God will keep his word. Whether it's rain, whether it's the storms, or, or whether it's something going on in our life, we can trust the word of God. It, that, that assurance is there. And for God, in verse 16, it becomes an everlasting covenant. God will remember that as he sees the, every storm, as he sees the, the bow in the cloud, and, and he sees more than we see of them. Uh, those, those that are pilots here probably have seen a lot more rainbows than we see from our perspective because they're, they're up above the clouds and they look down on them and they, they see the rainbow where we don't, often don't see it down below. But every time God sees it, it reminds him, I made a promise and I will keep that promise. What a tremendous God we have today we dare not set aside his covenant or change his commands we need to learn to heed his word and so as as we think about that today I wonder are you facing a new beginning are you facing it by choice or is it being forced upon you sometimes we have no choice in the matter God just brings a change into our lives in those moments of new beginning those moments of change It's good for us to stop and honestly ask, 
Is God asking something of us in that change? Is there a sacrifice we need to make? Uh, It's a time for us to examine our lives and and offer to him the sacrifices that that he is looking for us. We all are confronting change today. You are confronting it because I chose to retire. And, And so you're facing a change. We're facing a change. We're wondering, what what is the next door that God's opening in in our life? Now, this is where I'm going to, Ginger's not going to follow me here. Uh, You you can just go to sleep for a few minutes or or rest because this wasn't in in your notes. But as as I thought about that last night and this evening, uh, as we face a time of change, there are two scriptures that came to mind. One was Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. In them, God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Yes, we are changing. But we're not changing the reality that God is with us. Remember the promise that Jesus made? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we don't need to fear the change because God is there. God will walk through those changes and those times of changes with us. And then the second verse that came to mind this morning was Romans 8.28. Now, we're all familiar with that. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you ever wrestle with that verse? I hope you do. I, I, I mean, I can go to the hospital and I can quote that for somebody in the hospital bed. It's a different matter if I'm in the hospital bed. Yeah, it's good for somebody else, but is it really good for us? I, as, as I thought about that, I thought of an illustration. I dug it out of my files here this morning. It was in the Daily Bread several years ago. It's a story of Professor Caldwell. I, I think he was at Moody Bible Institute, but it doesn't actually say that in the article there. But as he was teaching a, a class of seminary students the Book of Romans, He said these words, I will be teaching on Romans 8 tomorrow. So tonight as you study, I want you to pay special attention to verse 28. Notice what this verse truly says and what it doesn't say. Then he added one final word before I dismiss you. Whatever happens in all the years to come, remember Romans 8, 28 always holds true. That very same day, Dr. Caldwell and his wife were involved in a tragic car train accident. His wife was killed instantly. He was in the hospital for a long period of time. It was months before he came back to the classroom. The room was hushed as he walked into the room for the first time. And these are the words that he said to the students that that he had been teaching. He said, Romans 8.28 still holds true. One day we will see God's good in all of this. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is good today? He's with us. He's good. We can rest in the midst of the changes. I think we can rest in the the changes that God brings into our life. Like Noah, maybe we need to build an altar. Like Noah, maybe there's a sacrifice we need to make. But God will meet us in those moments. And God will see us not only through the change, but he'll see us safely home to glory. Someday we'll be with him in eternity. Let's pray. Father, as we, each of us, confront areas of change in our life today, we just want to pause 
and say, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. And just as there is that that rainbow there for Noah and his family, in a sense, each time we see that rainbow, we're reminded you keep your word. And we thank you for that today. We trust you. And then, Father, we also think of the fact that we don't understand sometimes the change. We don't understand sometimes the pain or or the difficulties that come our way. But you allow them for our good. And we want to express today a sacrifice of praise and simply say thank you for the way you lead. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. Thank you that you are God and we can rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to sing together close to thee.